Chapter Two of The Wild Huntress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Wild Huntress by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Two Marion and Lillian. Passing outward from the door, the two young girls pause in their steps. An object has attracted their attention. A large dog is seen running out from the shed, a gaunt, fierce-looking animal that answers to the very appropriate name of Wolf. He approaches the sisters and salutes them with an unwilling wag of his tail. It seems as though he could not look pleased, even while seeking a favor, for this is evidently the purpose that has brought him forth from his lair. He appeals more especially to the older of the girls, Marion. "'Oh, Wolf, I see your sides are thin, old fellow.' you want your breakfast what can we give him lil indeed sister i know not there is nothing for the poor dog there is some deer meat inside ah i fear father will not allow wolf to have that i heard him say he expected one to take dinner with him to-day you know who an arch smile accompanies this half interrogatory but for all that the words do not appear to produce a pleasant effect on the contrary a shade is observable on the brow of her to whom they are addressed yes i do know well he shall not dine with me tis just for that i've brought out my rifle to-day i intend to make my dinner in the woods or go without and that's more likely never fear wolf you shall have your breakfast whether i get my dinner or not now for the life of me lil i don't know what we can give the poor brute those buzzards are just within range i could bring one of them down but the filthy creatures ugh even a dog won't eat them see sister yonder is a squirrel wolf will eat squirrels i know but no it's a pity to kill the little creature not a bit yon little creature is a precious little thief it's just been at our corn crib by killing it i do justice in a double sense i punish the thief and reward the good dog here goes the squirrel scared from its depredation on the corn sweeps nimbly over the ground towards the nearest tree wolf having espied it rushes after in headlong pursuit but it is rare chance indeed when a dog captures one of these animals upon the ground and wolf as usual is unsuccessful he has treed the squirrel but what of that the nimble creature having swooped up to a high limb seats itself there and looks down upon its impotent pursuer with a nonchalant defiance at intervals more emphatically expressing the sentiment by a saucy jerk of its tail but this false security proves the squirrel's ruin deceived by it the silly animal makes no effort to conceal its body behind the branch but sitting upright in a fork presents a fair mark to the rifle the girl raises the piece to her shoulder takes aim and fires the shot tells and the tiny victim hurled from its high perch after making several somersaults in the air falls right into the jaws of that hungry savage at the bottom of the tree wolf makes his breakfast upon the squirrel this young diana of the backwoods appears in no way astonished at the feat she has performed nor yet lillian doubtless it is an everyday deed you must learn to shoot lil oh sister for what purpose you know i have neither the taste for it nor the skill that you have the skill you will acquire by practice it's worth knowing how i can assure you besides it is an accomplishment one might stand in need of some day why do you know sister in the times of the indians every girl understood how to handle a rifle so father says true the fighting indians are gone away from here but what if you were to meet a great bear in the woods surely i would run away from him 
and surely I shouldn't, Lil. I have never met a bear, but I'd just like to try one. Dear sister, you frighten me. Oh, do not think of such a thing. Indeed, Marion, I am never happy when you are away in the woods. I am always afraid of your meeting with some great wild beast which may devour you. Tell me, why do you go? I am sure I cannot see what pleasure you can have in wandering through the woods alone. Alone. Perhaps I am not always alone. These words are uttered in a low voice, not loud enough for Lillian to hear, though she observes the smile that accompanies them. You see, Sister Lil, continues Marion in a louder tone, our tastes differ. You are young and like better to read the storybooks your mother left you, and look at the pictures in them. My mother left me no storybooks nor pictures. She had none and did not care for them, I fancy. She was half Indian, you know, and I suppose I am like her, for I too prefer realities to pictures. I love to roam about the woods, and as for the danger, pooh-pooh, I have no fear of that. I fear neither bear nor panther, nor any other quadruped. Ha! I have more fear of a two-legged creature I know of, and I should be in greater danger of meeting with that dreaded biped by staying at home. The speech appears to give rise to a train of reflections in which there is bitterness. The heroine of the rifle remains silent while in the act of reloading, and the tinge of melancholy that pervades her countenance tells that her thoughts are abstracted. While priming the piece, she is even maladroit, enough to spill a quantity of the powder, though evidently not from any lack of practice or dexterity. Lillian has heard the concluding words of her sister's speech with some surprise, and also noticed the abstracted air. She is about to ask for an explanation when the dialogue is interrupted. Wolf rushes past with a fierce growl. Someone approaches the clearing. A horseman, a man of about thirty years of age, of spare form and somewhat sinister aspect, a face to be hated on sight, and at sight of it the shadow deepens on the brow of Marion. Her sister exhibits no particular emotion. The newcomer is no stranger. It is only Josh Stebbins, the schoolmaster of Swampville. He is their father's friend, and comes often to visit them. Moreover, he is that day expected, as Lillian knows. Only in one way does she show any interest in his arrival, and that is on observing that he is better dressed than usual. The cut of his dress, too, is different. See, Sister Marion, cries she in a tone of raillery, how fine Mr. Josh is, black coat and waistcoat, a standing collar, too. Why, he is exactly like the Methody minister of Swampville. Perhaps he has turned one. I shouldn't wonder, for they say he is very learnt. Oh, if that be, we may hear him preach at the next camp meeting. How I should like to hear him hold forth. <laughs> the young creature laughs heartily at her own fantastic conceits, and her clear silvery voice for a moment silences the birds, as if they pause to listen to a music more melodious than their own. The mock-bird echoes back the laugh, but not so, Marian. She has observed the novelty as well as her sister, but it appears to impress her in a very different manner. She does not even smile at the approach of the stranger but on the contrary the cloud upon her brow becomes a shade darker marian is some years older than her sister old enough to know that there is evil in the world for neither is the backwoods the home of the arcadian innocence she knows the schoolmaster sufficiently to dislike him and judging by his appearance one might give her credit for having formed a correct estimate of his character she suspects the object of his visit more than that she knows it she is herself its object with indifferent grace, therefore, she does receive him, scarcely concealing her aversion as she bids him the customary welcome. Without being gifted with any very acute perception, the newcomer might observe this dig-out on the part of the young girl. He takes no notice of it, however, either by word or the movement of a feature. 
on the contrary he appears perfectly indifferent to the character of the reception given him not that his manner betrays anything like swagger for he is evidently not one of the swaggering sort rather is his behaviour characterised by a cool quiet effrontery a sort of sarcastic assurance ten times more irritating this is displayed in the laconic style of his salutation morning girls father at home in the fact of his dismounting without waiting to be invited in sharply scolding the dog out of his way as he leads his horse to the shed and finally in his throwing the saddle-bags over his arm and stepping inside the cabin door with the air of one who is not only master of the house but of the situation inside the door he is received by the squatter himself and in the exchange of salutations even a casual observer might note a remarkable difference in the manner of the two men the guest cool cynical confident the host agitated with eye unsteady and heart evidently ill at ease there is a strange significance in this salutation and also in the little incident that follows before a dozen words have passed between the two men the schoolmaster turns quietly upon his heel and closes the door behind him the squatter making no objection to the act either by word or gesture the incident may appear of trifling importance but not so to marion who stands near watching every movement and listening to every word why is the door closed and by josh stebbins that rude door that throughout the long summer day is accustomed to hang open on its rawhide hinges all day and often all night except during the cold wintry winds or when rainstorms blow from the west why is it now closed and thus unceremoniously no wonder that marian attaches a significance to the act neither has she failed to note the agitated mien of her father while receiving his visitor that father at all other times and in the presence of all other people so bold fierce and impassable she observes all this with a feeling of pain for such strange conduct there must be a cause and a serious one that is her reflection the young girl stands for some moments in the attitude she has assumed her sister has gone aside to pluck some flowers growing by the bank of the stream and marian is now alone her eye is bent upon the door and she appears to hesitate between two thoughts shall she approach and listen she knows a little she desires to know more she has not merely conjectured the object of the schoolmaster's visit she is certain it concerns herself it is not simply that which troubles her spirits left to herself she would make light of such a suitor and give him his conge with a brusque promptitude but her father why does he yield to the solicitations of this man this is the mystery she desires to unravel can it be a debt scarcely that in the lawless circle of backwood society the screw of the creditor has but little power over the victim of debt certainly not enough to enslave such a free fearless spirit as that of hickam holt the girl knows this and hence her painful suspicion that points to some other cause what cause she would know she makes one step towards the house as if bent upon espionage again she pauses and appears undecided the chinks between the logs are open all round the hut so too the interstices between the hewn planks of the door no one can approach near to the walls without being seen from the inside and a listener would be sure of being discovered is it this reflection that stays her in her steps that causes her to turn back or does the action spring from a nobler motive whichever it be it seems to bring about a change in her determination suddenly turning away she stands facing to the forest as if with the intention of launching herself into its sombre depths a call of adieu to her sister a signal to wolf to follow and she is gone whither and for what purpose why loves she these lone rambles under the wild wood shade 
she has declared that she delights in them but can we trust her declaration true hers is a strange spirit tinged no doubt with the moral tendencies of her mother's race in which the love of solitude is almost an idiosyncrasy but with her this forest ranging is almost a new practice only for a month or so has she been indulging in this romantic habit so incomprehensible to the home-loving lillian her father puts no check upon such inclinations on the contrary he encourages them as if proud of his daughter's penchant for the chase though purely a white man his nature has been indianized by the habits of his life and in his eyes the chase is the noblest accomplishment even for a woman does the fair marion think so or has she another motive for absenting herself so frequently from her home let us follow her into the forest there perhaps we may find an answer to the enigma End of chapter two